it is my honor and privilege to introduce our speaker for the week. Her name is Destiny Dees, and it's, it's going to be a great week, and I'm excited to have her here with us. So she is from the state of Louisiana. Anybody from Louisiana in here? All right, we've got a couple. All right, and she comes from a family of God-fearing preachers, and she has a rich history of, of family that loves Jesus. And uh, she has a law degree from the University of Duke, or Duke University, rather. And her and her husband, Philip, who is also going to be teaching a mega breakout tomorrow afternoon, you might want to check out, check that out. Uh, they co-pastor a church in Louisiana called North Point Community Church. Um, they also have five beautiful children. And uh, let's just give a warm Southeast Salt welcome to Destiny Dees. Hello, Salt. My goodness. I love Chi Alpha. You guys are my favorite people, and I'm not joking at all. Um, I, I, I've been to South uh, Salt, South Central, but I have heard that you guys are the place to be. And so... Just saying, I don't know if it's a, you know, SCC, ACC thing, I don't know. Where's our Carolina people? I just, I have to tell you, we named our first daughter Carolina. That's how much we love we love Carolina. Before I get started, I want to tell you just a little bit about me, and then we're going to get right into it, okay? All right, so the very first thing I want to tell you is my husband and I have written a book, and we are stinking proud of it. And so we brought some, but if you really want this year and in your life to live on mission, if you want things to be different, if you want to build your life from the ground up, if you want to stop messing about and actually find a purpose and a goal, it's a good book for you. So um, we're going to be selling those later on um, tonight. I brought my family with me. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to have a picture. I'm going to show you all of my beautiful people and um, tell you some more things. And I'm also going to be preaching tomorrow morning my favorite sermon I preach. It's my favorite. I love it. So you should get up and come is what I want to say tonight. All right, every one of you in here has a story. Every single one of you in here, this is mine. I am a fourth generation Pentecostal preacher. My great grandmother was preaching standing on top of wagons and under brush arbors. We found Jesus. And from that moment on, regardless of who paid our paycheck or what we had to do, we preached this gospel to anyone who would listen because it changed our family. It changed our history. It changed our culture. And I still today believe that it can change your life. You know, I look, and I know I have this beautiful legacy, and in a second, we're going to read a, a verse about legacy and, and about having a legacy in the faith. But I want to say this to every person in the room that has no legacy in the faith. Those of you who are first-generation 
Christians, those of you who are the first person in your family to bow your knee to King Jesus, there will one day be people and generations that come after you that will be telling your story and saying, that was the time that everything changed for our family. My great, great grandmother decided to bow her knee to Jesus and to stop living in dysfunction. And today I have a legacy because she paid for it. And that's who you are. We're going to be reading some, some verses out of the Bible because this is the book that changes our life. And we're going to start with 2 Timothy. I probably should just tell you, I did bring my husband and he should stand up and wave because you're going to hear him throughout the service. So please stand up and wave, Philip, so they know who is cheering. Women, find you a man who will support you. All right, we're going to do 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. You're not going to have screens for this. This is just for you. You listen. You can read along in your Bible, on your phone, on your friend's phone, whatever. All right, ready? 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. By the way, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul who wrote most of our New Testament theology, and he is writing to one of his protégés whose name is Timothy. All right, let's start. Verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we're together again. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. That is why I remind you. That is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I want to say that again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. This is a story about legacy. Because Timothy was a legacy Christian. Even in that first generation, he was a legacy Christian. And Paul saw in him the faith of his grandmother and his mother. But he said, look, I can see your faith, but you've still got to fan into flame the gift. You've still got to fan into flame the gift. And he goes on and he says, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. He, he says, look, I, I, you've been given this gift. You've been given this spirit. You've been given this incredible thing. And it's not to make you afraid and ashamed, but to give you power, to give you love, to give you self-discipline. Don't be ashamed. 
Instead, Timothy, I want you to be willing to join me in a story that's bigger than you. I want you to be willing to join me in a story that's bigger than you. Can, can I just ask a question? What would it look like if we lived unafraid and unashamed? What would it look like on your campus if you lived truly unafraid and unashamed? There, there's this other place in, in the Bible where we're invited into this beautiful story and this story of legacy. It's, it's one of my absolute favorites. I, I don't know if you guys know, but the book of Hebrews, scholars believe, is probably a transcribed Pentecostal sermon. And if you ever read it just all in one take or you listen to it on the Bible app, you can start to feel the ebbs and the flows and the crescendos as it rises and it falls. And right in the middle is this crown jewel, the hall of fame of faith. And it, and it starts in, in chapter 11. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And without faith, it is impossible. Turn to somebody and say impossible. To please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then it goes through all of these people, Abel and Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and all of these people. And it says this, it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about that you have the power to change the story. You have the power to change the story. Can we pray? God, I, I thank you for these incredible people who are in this room, these world changers, these people who want to know you, who desire to know you. God, I thank you for the people who just came along for the ride and aren't even sure about this thing. God, I pray that they would know that you're not sitting and judging them, but that you see them, you love them, you care for them, and that they are important to you. And Lord, I pray that they would not hear just the words that come out of my mouth. Father, please let them hear the words that come from your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, 
Amen, amen. Okay, so I do, I, I come from a family of seven. I'm the oldest of seven children. There were six of us growing up, and um, we lived in a house that did not have a lot of bathrooms because we're in, from Louisiana. And so that's only kind of a joke. Uh, and so we got, I'm used to just being around people. Anybody feel that way? Like you're just used to being, I was used to being around people. When I got to college, I thought it was amazing because I only shared my room with one person. I was like, this is amazing. This is absolutely the best thing that ever happened to the world. But anyway, so I'm used to being around a lot of people. I'm used to getting dressed with a lot of people, hanging out with a lot of people, you know, the whole thing. And so I have children, and my expectation is that they want to be with me all the time. And so as they get older, that becomes less true. And so the other day, I was going back to my room, and I was going to get dressed or going to do something. And I said to um, my second daughter, who's here, and I said to her, I said, Julietta, I said, would you like to come back with me and, and hang out with mom, you know, in the whole deal? And she said, no. And I said, no, like, really, just come sit on my bed. And she's like, no, I'm doing something, mom. She goes, you're an adult. You can do that by yourself. So cool, cool, Juju, cool. So I, I just was teasing her, and I said, um, started singing this rhyme that we sing in Louisiana, um, and, and it goes like this: goes, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. And that's silly, but I was just, you know, I was being silly, and she, without meeting a, like, missing a beat, she looks up with her, like, fierce little eyes and goes, stories, Mom, stories. See, we teach them that even when you're teasing, right, that the stories that you tell yourself about yourself and about others become your reality. Your stories matter. The stories that you tell yourself, hear me, about yourself about your college experience, about your group leader, about your pastor, about your parents, about your past, about all of these different things, they become your reality. See, you even have a story about your presence at this conference. Now, I want us to realize we're all sitting in the same room. We're all sitting in the same room. We're listening to the same speaker. We're having the same experience, but our stories may be drastically different. Your story might be, I have been so excited about salt. Gosh, I went last year and it was incredible. I'm so glad to be here. We're going to have the best time. I'm going to meet people, maybe meet somebody and all of that. And I'm just, this is going to be great. Or maybe your story sounds like this. I'm here because my group leader told me I had to be. And I don't want to be here. And really, honestly, I don't think they understand the concept of rest. Because I'm tired and this is my break. But I'm here and I'm going to sit here, here. Or maybe, maybe your story sounds like this. None of these people get me. And you've never felt more alone than sitting in this room right now. Because you're looking around and you're living a lie. Yeah. 
And you haven't been able to trust anybody with what's really going on in your heart. See, we can have the exact same facts because facts are neutral and have a completely different experience because of the story that we tell about those facts. But see, see, it's more than just stories because you have a story about your singleness. You have a story about your career. You have a story about your future. You have a story about all of these different things and they are affecting your experience and they are defining your reality. But Jesus died to give us a brand new story. He's invited us into something that is completely new. But all of your old stories, and believe me, old stories don't have to be like old. They can be like two weeks old. You've just settled into them. Your old stories will keep you from the new that Jesus has for you. But it's not just old stories. It's also old names. It's old names. See, you get your name from your story. You may have gotten it in chapter 2 when you were abused as a child. You may have got it in chapter 10 when your parent or your teacher or your grandmother labeled you with that name that you can't seem to shake. You may have got it in chapter 22 when you made a decision on a crazy night that honestly you just cannot get over. I don't know where you got your name, but I know that your name comes from the story because we have to be the character, don't we? We, we have to be the character in the story that we have created for ourselves. And, and it's funny how, how that character's name sometimes can just so limit us. It, it, victim, loser, broken, forgotten, bitter. Overworked, underappreciated, self-made, the only one who really is interested in the truth, alone. I don't know what your name is, but I know that your story tells you your name. But hear me, Jesus came to give you a brand new name. But you can't take the new name that he has for you. You can't hold on to that new name unless you let go of the old one. So it's, it's not just stories and names, but it's also excuses. See, your name tells you your limits. It tells you the stuff that you can't do. See, when your name is tough, there's just some things you can't do. You, you can't be vulnerable. You can't open up to that group leader. You can't actually admit that you have emotions and issues. When your name is broken and messed up, there's some limitations. What are you talking about? We get mad at people when they ask us to step outside of the limitations that we have created by our stories and our names. And we're like, wait, what? You want me to be in leadership? You want me to speak out? You want me to lean in? You want me to change that? How dare you ask me to do that? Don't you know my name? And it's given me the excuse. I, I can't do that. Don't you know my name? And this is the problem 
with excuses is that over time, excuses become habits. Over time, excuses become habits. I'll explain it to you. So you've created a story where you just are overworked. You are just, whew, I just cannot even handle it. I'm just overworked. And it's become your story. And so now it's your name. It's not just a season, right? You're exhausted because you're overworked. So you, it's not just a season. It's not just something you're walking through. Now it's who you are. And because you're so exhausted, you have an excuse. So when you get home from class or whenever you're sitting alone or whenever you have a free moment, you don't have any energy to do anything but scroll. I mean, honestly, all I have is energy just to veg out right now. I'm just going to, I mean, I'm just, I just don't have any energy. This is the problem with that. Over time, that excuse becomes a habit, right? You're like, that's a silly example. No, it, it literally could be robbing three to eight hours of your day. But, but, but it's like we, we stop even asking if there's something else we want to do. And, and we have this excuse that's telling us, you don't have the energy to connect with people. You don't have the energy to go to group. You don't have the energy to do anything extra. You don't have the energy to read your Bible. You don't have the energy to pray. You don't have the energy to do all these different things. And we take that excuse one too many times, and now it's a habit. And our habit has become our life. And so we get caught in this cycle where our old habits that are based on these excuses are holding us back. And hear me, we know where it comes from because it all comes from our wounds. It all comes from that time. You know that time. That time that maybe nobody even knows about. That time that comes up in your mind when you don't want it to. That conversation where you got embarrassed and now you can't come back to the table. That, that time, that time, that thing that happened to you, that thing that you did. And there's a wound on the inside of you that has created a story and has given you a name and has provided you an excuse that has become a habit that has literally taken over your life. And we end up building these lives that are centered on and defined by our pain. You may say, well, I don't feel broken. I'm strong. That's a name. Well, I don't feel loser. I'm, I'm a winner. Guess what? There's two sides to that coin. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't stand up here as somebody who just went to Bible school for seven years and has no idea what it is to step on a secular campus. I went to seven years of secular school, and I was freakishly successful because I had no social life. <laughs> that really helps. Just if you were wondering, your mom was right. I was, and I found myself at 20 years old 
engaged to the man of my dreams. I know it was very young. It was the 90s, okay? Anyway, engaged to the man of my dreams. Top of everything in my class. Successful in every way that anybody would have said mattered. And completely crumbling on the inside. Completely crumbling. And I can remember sitting on my bed alone because I couldn't talk about it to anybody. Because when you're a winner, you can't let anybody know you're losing. I don't know if you know that. Right? When you're spiritual, you can't let anybody know you're doubting. Right? When you got it all together, you got to hide all the parts that aren't. And they spread. I'm standing there, and I am sitting in my room all alone, and I am broken beyond repair. I am crying again, crying out to God again, devastated again, so deep in depression that if I hadn't been afraid of what everybody would have thought, do you hear me? And I sat there, and I cried out to God, and I said, God, I can't hold on anymore. Because my story was that God needed me to always be my best. That he was standing up there ready to judge me at any moment. That he was looking for an opportunity. I don't even know if anybody taught me that, but that was my story. My story was that I was secretly a failure and everybody one day was going to find out. My story was that if I loosened my grip for a moment, everything would fall apart. And I had created a name for myself. And ironically, it was worthless. And when you're worthless, you have to hold on to everything too tight. And so I said, God, I can't hold on anymore. And this is what I heard him say as he interrupted my story. I never asked you to hold on. I asked you to let go. And in that moment, I was ticked off. And I had this thought in my mind, it was like this cat holding on to the end of a rope. Because in the 90s, sarcastic secretaries would put posters of cats holding on to the end of ropes in their cubicles. They were outward memes because those didn't exist. And they would say things like, I only am going to make one person happy today, and that person's not you. <laughs> Little history for you. And I saw that flash in my mind, and I was like, yes, God, that's exactly how I feel. Thank you so much for the visual. But, th but then I really... I really felt him say, no, I, I mean it, like, let go. You were never good enough in the first place. Do you think that your brokenness scares me? Do you think that the way that you're hurting scares me? Do you think any of this scares me? I know you, Destiny. Stop holding on to everything so tight. Let go. And guys, in that moment, my story changed. My story changed. And that's what Jesus does. He interrupts 
stories. You know, I don't know if you guys have read the Sermon on the Mount, but it's just offensive. No, I'm serious. It's just offensive. Jesus says stuff that I would not say. In fact, I only quote it. I'm like, he said it. Be mad at him. He says things like, turn the other cheek. What? Wait, when somebody, when somebody lays hands on me, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek? What are we even talking about? He's... He says one of the most offensive things I can ever imagine. So Jesus is a Jewish man who is living in a, in a country that is oppressed. The Romans have taken over his country. They are living oppressed. They were an oppressed people. The Romans crucified 5,000 Jews and they only stopped because they ran out of wood. oppression. And there was this rule that said when a Roman soldier saw a Jewish man, he could throw him his kit, his baggage, his gear, and make him, do you hear me? This guy's walking along the road. Maybe he's working at his family business. Maybe he's with his family. Maybe he's taking his, his daughter to the healer. I, I don't know what he's doing, but this soldier can stop this person at any point, throw him his gear, and say, walk a mile with me. Oppression. And Jesus says this. He says, if the guy who's oppressing you asks you to go a mile. Go to. What? You, Jesus, you can't say that. I don't know if you know, but we don't, we don't say things like that now. That may have been okay then, but we're not. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was giving, he was giving a great gift. Just for a moment with me, I want you to imagine what would have happened if any of these people actually did this. So, so this Roman walks up to this Jewish man, expecting probably a little bit of an attitude, a fight. Maybe he'll have a chance to kind of beat him up rough him up a little bit, you know? He walks up to him, but, but he doesn't know something. This guy's a Jesus follower. That's the important part. So he walks up to him, and, and he, has, he, has his, he has his kit, and he throws it at the guy. And, and the guy catches it, and like he works at Chick-fil-A, says, oh, my pleasure. And they walk for a mile. This guy carrying a heavy soldier's gear in the hot. It's hot. And maybe, maybe the soldier gets past the mile marker. You know what I mean? He wants to push it a little bit. 
And he says, you can go. And the guy goes, oh, no, sir. We're only halfway there. See, what you meant to take my power, my God, he gave me my power back because he gave me the power to change my story. See, you aren't allowed to oppress me. You aren't allowed to abuse me. You aren't allowed to hurt me because I have a different story and I have a different name and I have a different leader. And from the very beginning, Jesus has been giving his followers the chance to change the story. What if? What if you told a story of being the servant of all in your community? What if? What if you embraced the call of Christ to truly lay down your life? What if you took the power back from those who would define you by anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ and you decided to live a different kind of life? What would it feel like to live unafraid and unashamed? See, Jesus has given us that kind of power. I have another little girl. Her name's Ella, and uh, she's a Disney princess. No, I'm, I'm really not kidding. Like she, She's a Disney princess, and she flips her hair. And she's six. And don't worry, someday she's going to learn how to tie her shoes. She's the youngest of our family, but she's the third one. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like some of you are like, yeah, that's me too. Everybody does everything for her. But Ella is very um, particular about one thing, and that's her name. And I'll tease her, and I'll be like, is your name Ariel today? And she will flip that hair around, and she will stare me right in the face. And she will say, that is not my name. My name is Ella Bella. Some of you are answering to names that you don't need to answer to anymore. It's time to put those stories to rest. It's time to put those names behind you. And you need to look the enemy in the face and say, stop calling me that because that's not my name anymore. My name isn't broken. My name isn't lazy. My name isn't loser. My name isn't abused. My name isn't oppressed. My name isn't any of those things because I have been given a brand new name. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're gonna close out. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, it's why we tell you not to start in the beginning of the book. The Bible, if you were wondering, if you've never read the Bible before, the Bible is not meant to be read from front to back until later, after you've read it another way. You're supposed to start in kind of the almost end. 
And that's because the, the front part's the Hebrew Bible. And, and as Christ followers, we want you to kind of get an idea of like the Jesus way so that when you get into the Hebrew Bible, you can have a context for what's coming next. But um, in the Hebrew Bible, there's this, these people called the Israelites who are God's people. And God does crazy things for these people. He brings them out of slavery in Egypt. He, he brings them out of slavery in Egypt. He, he sets them free. He guides them with like fire and smoke. He gives them food from the sky. He causes birds to fall down from the sky and let themselves be killed. All of the hunters in the room are like, please, God, repeat that miracle. And he takes them all the way to the promised land, which is this land he has promised to them. That's why it's called the promised land. And, and this is what happens. He says, hey, go look at the land I've given you. Go, 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 go like plan how you're going to take it. But they go and look and they answer a different question because they were living in a different story. They answer the question, can we take it? They answer the question, can we take it? And they come to the conclusion after a very reasoned analysis that does not include God at all, that they cannot. And this is what they say. We are just escaped slaves, and they are giants. They'd seen the miraculous. They'd been delivered. They'd had every experience you could ever imagine in the presence of God. But they weren't able to walk into the new that God had for them because they tried to carry an old story and an old name and an old excuse and an old habit with them that came from 300 years of wounds at the hands of the Egyptians. Guys, that was a legitimate story. They were right about their name. They had a reason for that excuse. That they missed out. They missed out. An entire generation missed out because they allowed their wounds to put them in a story that gave them a name, that gave them an excuse. How dare you tell us, Moses, that we can go up against giants? We're just escaping slaves. How dare you tell us? And it had become a habit over 300 years of backing down from a fight. So they were like, we can't do this. When we see that the other guy's bigger, we back down. That's who we are in the story. And you can have every experience in God's presence. You can have faith. You can even have legacy. But unless you choose to let go of the old stories and to step into his new story, you will never see what God wants to do through you, in you. I feel 
this from the bottom of my heart. There's some of you who have done some really good reasoned analysis of what God can do on your campus. You have all the statistics to show why God can't move, why you'll always be 15 people, why you'll always be a remnant, why you need to stay in the desert and hide out instead of taking the land that God has called for you. Chi Alpha, I'm here to tell you, get out of that old stinking story and take on a new name because he's called you to be something different, to see something different. We can't live in the winds of our life. You know the winds. When that thing happened, when it used to be better, when I used to, when I saw, when that person said, when culture changed, when COVID hit, when, 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 and we live in the whims of the past instead of walking forward into the when that God has for you. Because make no mistake, God does win in the end. He wins. But as every generation, you have a choice. Are you going to stand up and are you going to be the generation that wins? Are you going to be the generation that changes the story? Are you going to be the generation that takes the power that says, you know what? We're supposed to be living completely different. We're supposed to be completely different people. It's not just about not sleeping with people. It's about changing the entire world. It's about living completely devoid of all of the different labels that anybody would put on me. I'm asking you, Cal Alpha, are you willing to walk away from the winds of your past into the wind of your future? Because an entire generation is counting on you. You can have faith like Timothy, but you can live afraid and ashamed for your whole life. I've got good news. Because Hebrews 12:1 says that there is a great cloud of witnesses that walked away from winds that looked a lot worse than yours. They walked away from being beaten and from being killed. They walked away from having to walk everywhere as missionaries, from not being able to have nearly enough. They walked away from shipping their belongings in coffins onto the mission field. They walked away from those who threw eggs at them because they were Pentecostal in Mississippi. They walked away from those who said that they were cowards because they wouldn't take on the fight of the day. They walked away from all of the pain and all of the abuse and they walked forward and you stand here today because of the blood, sweat and tears of those who were willing to win for the next generation. My question is, are you willing to bleed for the next generation? Are you willing to change the story for the next generation? Are you willing, like that man who took on Jesus's story? Because this is what happens. This is my question. 
What happens? Just hear me out and then we're gonna close. What happens to the Roman soldier who encounters a Jewish man who goes the second mile? See, when your story changes, it disrupts everybody else's story around you because they expected you to be broken. They expected you to be weird. They expected you to be all of the different things. And you aren't anymore because you're a start or a part of a story that's bigger than you. It's bigger than your success. It's bigger than your platform. It's bigger than what people see. It's bigger. It started 2,000 years ago and it'll end when he decides it ends. But hear me, until then, don't we wanna march forward away from the winds of our life into the winds of the future? Stand with me all over this place. I got way rowdier than I planned on on the first night. But I feel it so deep on the inside of me. God wants to bring revival to the Southeast and he wants to use you. How do I know that? Because that's what he always wants. He wants, he wants your campus to change from the inside out. Not because you yelled at people like I'm yelling at you, but because you lived so different that it disrupted their story. Because you lived so different that it disrupted their story. But I'm talking to you now. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. No matter what story you walked in with, are you ready to walk away from that win? You know what I'm talking about. You know what win I'm talking about. Are you ready to walk away? Are you ready to walk away? Are you ready? Are you ready to walk away from that win that has created a story for you? That wound that has created a story, that has given you a name, that's provided that excuse, that's become a habit. Are you ready to let go of that old story and walk into the new? If you're ready, come now, come now. I wanna pray for you. Walk away from the win, come now. Some of you have nodded your head at me this whole stinking sermon and you know it's for you. You know that that win has broken you and it created